This song is the perfect song for us to sing right before the sermon. Because what we're about to see is we have a God who invites us to have a meal with him. And in the time of Jesus, to have a meal with someone is a way to say, I deeply accept you, I deeply love you, and I deeply cherish you. And that's the kind of God we have, the God who sits us, sits us down and says, have a meal with me. It's beautiful. Let me pray for us before we get started. Father, help to take our crippled souls, our crippled hearts, and tug on them until we find ourselves sitting at the table with you. And God, with our head bowed low from guilt and shame, tell us we're forgiven so we might look up at you and find grace and mercy and love. And then let us become people who are strong and mighty and brave for you, doing the things that you've called us to do with joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. We're in week three of this new series, The Parables of Jesus. And many of these parables, they're stories, but they're stories that function like tests that reveal what you are, tests that reveal who you are. And last week we saw Jesus is the king who tests us by saying, while I'm gone, while I am not face to face with you, when it seems like all hope is lost, will you be loyal to me? Will you be faithful to me? And the test was laid before us. In these parables that function like tests, they're revealing what we are. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you a parable, two parables actually we're going to look at, that if you feel like you keep failing the test, these are going to be parables that lift you up, that strengthen you, that empower you, that remind you that you're accepted, but then at the same time, lift you up. Prepare you for the next test that's before you. And these tests that happen in your life, they're important because they are revealing who you are and what you are. And it's good for you to know who you are and what you are. And when you, what you find is if you find something that you don't like about you, the answer is simple. Go sit down at the table with him. So what we're going to find this week, there's this tension that the Christian lives in. Grace and responsibility. Sin and the call to transformation. Forgiveness and calling. A shepherd who pursues you, but a king who calls you to go do something. And last week we focused on the kingship of Christ. This week we're going to focus in on the shepherdship of Christ. Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. This is the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. It's actually two parables that come before one of the most famous parables, which is the prodigal son. And these stories are linked with that story. They're very important parables. Luke 15, 1 through 10. 
Now the scribes and tax collectors, no, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he is found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is, more, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. First point, weak and joyless Christians. I'd like to propose that today the church is filled with weak and joyless Christians. Why? Because we have ignored this calling to seek and save the lost. The very mission. For why Jesus says he comes is to seek and save the lost. He receives sinners. In our verses today, we're called to do the same. If you are weak, you won't seek the lost. Because that requires you to enter into the darkness and pull them out. And weak people are afraid of the dark. But the Bible tells us, do not run from evil, but to overcome evil with good. So seeking the lost forces you to get strong in Christ. And if you don't seek the lost, here's what happens. you got a nice, comfortable little life. Protecting yourself from everything. There's no reason to be strong. There's no reason to be courageous. Tax collectors, during the time of Jesus, were one of the most morally corrupt group of people. Because here's what, here's what would happen. Whenever an empire would take this new ethnic community and pull them into their empire, they would get a visit from a tax collector. Knock on the door, open up, tax collector is here. And he collects from you any amount of his choosing. Now, how does he get the ability to be able to do this? Well, he had to have some money to begin with. And then he takes the money that he has and he purchases an area to have the right now to be a tax collector for that area. The area is his. So he would just simply knock on the door, collect any money that he wants. He just had to make sure he paid the, the king his due and then he could take whatever it was that he wanted. Jesus spends a lot of time with these sinners or tax collectors. And the Pharisees are ridiculing him for it. The Pharisees believe that if you eat with sinners and tax collectors, you are becoming unclean. You're becoming morally corrupt just to associate with them. But look at Jesus. 
the strength of his purity of character transforms those he sits and eats with. It's the opposite effect. So let's get to know these Pharisees because they're the main people that Jesus is speaking to in this story. He wants them to change. And the message, the message is to them. The Pharisees, they know God's word well. Very well. Probably far better than any of us in this room. And they follow a strict set of rules to live by. And those rules are meant to keep them clean, to keep them from becoming morally corrupted. And what happens is, well, they've made themselves safe. Their purity is never actually tested. They're never going into the darkness. They ignore the world around them for the sake of purity. And the big problem with this is that they are failing in one of the most morally upstanding things you can do, which is love people. They don't have time for it for the sake of their purity. And the Pharisees accuse Jesus of drawing near to them, befriending them, and Jesus says, that's right. Keep accusing me. This is who I am, and this is what I do. And again, to eat with someone in that culture is to have a deep, relationship with them and to say like you and I were together like we're this is a thing like we are doing life together we're oh, I don't like that phrase but you know what I mean right and the Pharisees are saying to Jesus you're condoning their way of life and you're inviting uncleanness upon yourself by eating with them and Jesus tells them you don't know how people work you will never shame anyone into living the way that you think they should be living. And even if you do, you haven't changed their heart. You've just modified their behavior. You've created a new Pharisee. Real change happens when you are compelled by love and compassion to go and be with someone and befriend them. And you enter into the darkness to fight for your friends to bring them into the light. The Pharisees protect themselves and G Jesus puts himself in danger. And the argument I'm making today is that you should seek your lost friends. Enter into the darkness. Carrying the torch of the light of love and compassion that comes with Christ and then bring them with you into the light which means you better have some light about you. And you better, better be able to bring it into the darkness or else the darkness will overwhelm you. And when you do it, our verses say twice that you will have the joy of heaven. Pursue the lost as Christ pursued you when you were lost. And so if you're a Christian, what's stopping you? And... If we're following our text, it's probably that you have a fear of becoming unclean. You have a fear of becoming morally corrupted. Maybe your faith is weak and you're scared you're going to lose your own faith. Or maybe you just don't care. What's stopping you? Because the reality is you must, without a doubt, make yourself strong and then bravely walk into the darkness, into the unknown, into the wilderness in pursuit 
of the lost the same way Christ has come and pursued you. And you overwhelm the darkness with the light of goodness that's in you. So the main reason Christians aren't engaged with the lost weak, scared, not strong in faith, or they just don't care. And do you know what that means if that's the case? There's a fear that you have of the darkness, which means you have this calling from God, enter into the darkness and bring light. And if you aren't living into that calling, then the darkness still controls you. You're still overwhelmed by it. You're still overcome by it. The calling of the Christian is not to run from evil, but to overcome evil with good. But what about those Bible verses that say if you surround yourself with morally corrupt people, you will become morally corrupt? What do you do about that? How do we reconcile these two seemingly opposing truths? And the answer is you don't reconcile them. You hear the warning. But then you obey the calling. You got to know what you're getting yourself into. Strengthen yourself and then go live the way you've been called to live. But you got to use wisdom. If one of you men say to me, David, I've been praying really hard. And I think I know what my mission field is now. It's going to be the strip clubs, okay? I'm going to say to you probably, you're trying to pull a fast one here. This is likely not God's calling on your life. You have to use wisdom. You have to know when you pursue into the darkness that you too are capable of some horrible sin. It's in you. You have the potential for it, every single one of us. And so what that means is you have to be prepared for a battle. You don't be a fool. You put on armor and you use wisdom and then you go fight for your friends. I think Christians have gotten into this bad habit of overprotecting themselves. Now, here's what I mean. Here's what I don't mean. It is good to protect yourself, to overprotect yourself, but not by running, but by clothing yourself with the full armor of God to be ready for whatever temptation you're walking into. Now, what about the verses that says flee from temptation? Right, we got to figure all this out. We got to use a lot of wisdom in this. So we flee temptation, but then we walk into the darkness and expel it. And that calling pushes you out the door for the sake of the love for God that you have and the love for others. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, isn't this arrogant of me to think I can bring people out of the darkness? No, it's the calling that God has given you. Maybe God thinks more highly of you than you think of you. So you look into the darkness and you, you know what it is. Like you have a healthy fear of it, but you don't let it stop you from doing the thing that God has called you to do. So you bravely shine the light of Christ in you into the darkness and you expel the darkness that's around you. And, and you do this with absolutely 100% complete reliance on Christ. And if you aren't a Christian and you're hearing this, 
you might be tempted to ask, do you, do you Christians really think that I'm that bad? And the answer is yes. I think we all are. Absolutely every single one of us in this room are that bad. We're capable of some horrible evil. And our absolute only hope is Christ, the one who eats with sinners. If you are a Christian, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But isn't this parable about Jesus being the good shepherd? Absolutely, 100% it is. And you know who he's talking to? The Pharisees. And he's talking to them as if to say, I'm here and I'm doing the job you should have been doing this whole time. You know the scriptures. Why are you ridiculing me for doing the very thing that the Bible has called you to do? We must become like our Savior. And, and parents, one of the best things you can do for your kids is to teach them how to face the darkness. But how will you teach them if you aren't facing it yourself? And so what this means is every single parent, if you want to prepare your children, you enter into a, You have to have a mission. You have to have a purpose. Seek and save the lost. And so you do it. And as you do, you prepare yourself. You strengthen yourself. And now you know how to fight the darkness, which means you know how to help your kids fight the darkness. And if you don't teach them, if you don't know how to do it, you won't teach them how to do it, which means one of the best things that they could do is to get out from underneath your teaching and find somebody who can help them do this. And you do not want that to happen because you are called to have responsibility for your children, which means if you're going to live into that responsibility, you must obey the calling of Christ to seek and save the lost. So we end up raising up these overprotected children because we overprotect ourselves. And we send them out when they get out of the house as zebras among lions. Or like kids in a candy shop. Sin will pounce on them like a lion. And temptation will dance around them like a lure with a hidden hook. They'll either be eaten alive or they will eat up everything the world is feeding them and get hooked in. So again, one of the best things you can do is learn how to face the darkness and bring the light. And you know what? You want, to, you want your kids to be happy, right? Every parent says, I just, want, I just want my kids to be happy. Okay, great. How do you make them happy? Well, our text is saying twice, the joy of heaven is given when one sinner repents and turns to God. What does that mean for you? Well, are you experiencing that joy? It is a really exciting thing. Are you experiencing it? And are you able to let your kids experience that? So then you say, okay, together as a family, we're going to have a mission. We're going to have a purpose. It's bigger than ourselves. And you start chasing after that mission together as a family. And then you get to celebrate with your kids, when one of their friends finds the shepherd who's willing to eat with them. Angels rejoicing with you in that good work. So I just simply spent all this time just to convince you 
to pursue the lost. And, and I know, I know how we are. We're going to hear this. We're going to brush it off of our shoulder and move on to living how we've been living. But what I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, you just can't do it. You're becoming like your Savior. You have to. It's the calling. So you can't brush this off anymore. It's time to engage. And as soon as you do, well, you're entering into joy. All right, so, so where do you find those who are lost? The answer is outside the church and inside the church. First, those lost inside the church or the house, the lost coin inside the house. So this Middle, Middle Eastern woman in our story, so here is what Middle Eastern women did. They, they would have a purse that they would wear around their neck. And within that purse, it's called the woman's purse. And in it is enough money to sustain them if something happens to their husband. Their husband dies, they get a divorce. There's enough there in that purse to sustain that woman. Or what else could be the scenario is that she would be carrying coins in this tightly knotted rag. And whatever the scenario is, somehow either this tightly, tightly knotted rag got loose or one of the, these coins fell out of her purse. And it's easy to lose a coin in a house during that time because of what that house was made of around the Sea of Galilee. It would have been made of something that's dark, so it's hard to see things in this dark house. And there would be cracks throughout the house because of what it's made of. So what would happen is these coins would fall down into the cracks and get lost. Archaeologists today love this because they find these little hidden gems in these houses. So what does the woman do to find the lost coin? She gets the house as bright as she can. She cleans it all up, and she looks. It's very clear what Jesus is doing here. The house represents those in the Christian community that aren't Christians. Maybe they're lost and they know it. Maybe they're lost and they don't know it. So if that's you, how, how do you realize that? Or if, that's, if you want to help somebody who is, how, how do you know if they are or aren't? And the answer is by turning on the light, which means the light of truth. What does the light of truth do when it's turned on? Well, it puts a little bit of pressure on the darkness. It forces the darkness to flee. So turn the light on. Believe. And then obey. Obey the calling of God. The test is this. Obedience is proof that you believe. Now, okay, let me, let me be clear. Salvation is by faith alone. But that faith produces obedience. And obedience is proof that you do believe. And I want to be really careful here because a lot of us in this room are struggling with sin that, will, that is not going away right now. What does that mean? Well, if you're a Christian, here's what, it, here's what it's like. It's, it's like the sin is burning you. It pains you. You don't delight in it, but it keeps happening but it's causing you to say, God, I'm sorry, help me, change me, and you fight to change. That's a sign of a Christian. 
and, and to discern what's in you, you need the Christian community. You need people who are wrestling with faith and doubt and people who are doing it with vulnerability. You know, vulnerability is, in, is incredibly important when we're trying to figure our lives out. Because if you're not vulnerable, you're not exposing yourself to your, to, to your friends and your friends are there to help you. So you've got to have real wrestlings with faith and doubt. You've got to have real wrestlings with your sin. And so Christian leaders must be the ones who are leading the way in this. So if you're leading your discipleship group, you have to be the chief repenter. You have to be the one who's like being the most vulnerable. So you create an environment where other people can be vulnerable. And then by doing that, the truth is seen. And then you get to help people. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. If you aren't a Christian, but have been in the church, or if you aren't sure if you're one of these lost coins, Christ is like this lady who seeks you out. He wants to find you so badly. So have a meal with him. And then let's look at these lost sheep outside the house. The Christian is not only a sheep that was once lost, but now is found, but they are now a shepherd underneath the chief shepherd. The lost sheep in your life are those that the chief shepherd has called you to. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the chief shepherd put them there in your life so you could be faithful to the calling. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. This is Christ saying to you right now, don't be like the Pharisees. Have a meal with them. Care for the lost sheep. And Jesus uses the, she the, the title shepherd on purpose. What he's saying is he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's not afraid to break a sweat. And he's not afraid to go looking. I think there's an issue that us Christians keep falling into. We have these endless debates in the safe space of our ivory towers on social media. And we talk about really big topics like politics, justice, racism, abortion, marriage, sexuality. And we get caught up in these endless debates that bring very little change. And we ignore. Fine, do that. Don't ignore the lost sheep around you. And don't pretend like you're doing great work when you're ignoring the lost sheep around you. Because it's just another form of cowardice. It's a way to not have to get your hands dirty. The biggest impact you can make on the world is to do some real tangible good to those who are lost around you. Most of you will not change the world through your social media. Maybe some of you will have a platform. Maybe there's one or two of you in this room. But for the most part, the way for each and every one of you to change the world is by the people that, you, that need you in your life. Don't ignore them. God put them there on purpose. Too often we're screaming all that's wrong with the world, but we ignore the help we could offer. It's a false display of justice. It's an easy way out. It's pharisaical. 
the heart of the shepherd, it's seen tangibly by eating with those who are on the outside. Deep friendship with those who are on the outside. That will be the way to impact the world. There's enough of us Christians to do it. I mean, Christ changed the world with 12 disciples. But they were willing to die for the cause. We could do it all over again with 12, but we've got a lot more. So we've got to heed the calling. And this calling requires some sacrifice. When a sheep gets lost, it takes as much of a day for the shepherd to find that sheep. And then after all that walking, miles and miles of walking, finally, the shepherd's rejoicing in finding the sheep. But guess what? That's the easy part because now the shepherd's got to take the sheep throw, because sheep are prone to wander. He's going to try to get away again. So the shepherd throws the sheep over his shoulders and then with one hand holds the four legs that are around his neck. With the other hand, he's guiding himself, balancing himself through the mountain terrain. Miles and miles to get back to the flock. So the order goes, the shepherd finds the lost sheep, brings the sheep back to the flock, and then takes the whole flock home with him. Repentance is simply letting the shepherd take you home. And those who are lost and have now been found those are the people that are the most compassionate for the lost. And if you have little compassion for the lost, you should consider the potential that you're lost inside the house. And I meant to say this earlier. If you're not a Christian, you should not be offended that the Bible is calling you lost. It calls everybody lost who need a shepherd. But you know what should offend you if you aren't a Christian? That more Christians aren't pursuing you and seeking you. That should be what offends you. And if you're lost, the message of Christ has come home. If you're found, the message is we have a good shepherd who has called us to be like him. To go with the strength of the shepherd out into the darkness of the night, seeking after the sheep that the shepherd loves and going out with a torch of fire of the love and compassion that is given to us from the shepherd and bring the sheep home. And those who best know the shepherd are those who are most compelled to do this work. So that means we all need to know the shepherd. We all need to know the caretaker of the house of God. And simply knowing him compels you to do this work. It's our last point. The God who pursues sinners. The message for every single one of you in this room today is that Christ is God in the flesh who is not repelled by sinners, but drawn to them. The message today is that you all are prone to wander 
and prone to run from him. And he is prone to chase. And he chases you all the way into the darkness. And he finds you there caught in the teeth of the wolf of sin and death. And he sets you free with the cost of his life. He trades places with you. And there on the cross, the cross of hell, the wolf sinks its teeth into him. Sin and death holding him. And then he's drugged down into the pit. And you wait. Where is he? Why is this taking so long? He's got to come out, right? The shepherd is going to come out, right? And then at the perfect time, he rises up out of the pit carrying all the lost sinners with him. And he gathers up the flock and he says, come on, it's time to go home. We've got a meal to enjoy. That is your God. Have a meal with him. Let's pray. Father, in your goodness, you sent your son. Not so much because we wanted him to come, but because he wanted to come. We wanted to be free, but we needed him the whole time. Help us just to discover not what we want, but what we need in him so that we might realize he the whole time is what we wanted. The God-man who receives sinners and eats with them. Strengthen us, embolden us, and make us live as we were meant to do all along. God, we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.